Welcome to Fusion International Film Festivals, the podcast. Okay, hi everyone. Thank you for joining us once again for our latest podcast. And I'm delighted to be chatting to Patricia Vaughn, who is, uh, let me get this right, the director, writer, editor. Uh, she has two parts in this film and, and co-composer, would you believe? A veritable polymath of filmmaking, if she doesn't mind me saying. Um, this come up with Cold Dark Hollow, this five-minute creepy, fe- uh, creepy film. Um, and welcome to you, Patricia. Thank you very much for joining us. It's my honour, Steve. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. And the synopsis of this film is... Uh, a single mother shaken from PTSD searches for uh, for relief from her terrorizing nightmares. Patricia, before we before we talk more about the film, I have two one question. Two well, one question in particular is burning, so I'm going to ask you now. So two questions actually. One is you could have easily been the lead in this film. You obviously chose not to be. And secondly, why did you choose not to show your face? There's obviously reasons for both of these. So can you tell us, the, would you mind talking about that? Sure. Um, well, first of all, the whole film was inspired by Rod Serling of The Twilight Zone. Oh, I see. And my background is actually in animation stop motion, and I made three three short animation films before I made this one. But I always knew I wanted to, if I did venture into that arena, it would be an homage to Rod Serling because I'm one of 10 children. Wow, I'm one of seven. I'm one of oh, seven. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm the youngest, but yeah, so oh, I come from wow. a rather large family. Yeah, yeah, so but 10, that's immense. Yes, 10. Right. And we were all huge Twilight Zone fanatics. And my mother would always give us the background story or really infuse in us the power of the writing of Rod Serling. And that, you know. Right. Um, And she would take us to the movies on the weekends. And that was just our favorite pastime as a family together. Do you have a favorite um, Twilight Zone? I do have a favorite Twilight Zone episode, but do you have one? The first one that comes to mind is The Masks. I don't know. Which one's the Mar? Is that the woman that's in the bandages? No, actually, it's the family that put on the masks. That they're they're very greedy, and they tried to take the money of the 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 father who's about to pass away, and he makes them realize that uh, they are greedy people. Um, but you you'll have to find it. It's directed by Ida Lupino, and they put the masks on. It's Mardi Gras, and then when it comes time to take the masks off, that that the it implements it scars their face. That's what they're going to look like from that point on. Wow. Are the masks it's so creepy and <laughs> no i've got two i've got two so i've got two one is i can't remember what it's called it's the bandage one with the woman i've seen this and it's really it's bizarre she's got this bandage she doesn't want to show her face because she's really ugly and then the twist should i tell you the twist you're going to watch this oh yes i know it i know it very well she takes off she's this beautiful woman but they perceive her as ugly if you know yes. it, it, and the other one which everyone points to is it's it's a good life with the boy that has the magical powers if he says you know, you will die. You die instantly. I don't know if you've, met, if you've seen that. Oh, really yes, yeah. That's a really creepy one. Yes. Um, but no, I, I'm a massive fan of the Twilight Zone. I think we all are, right? Um, yeah. That was Beauty in the Eye of the Beholder you were talking about. Ah, okay. Right, yeah. okay. So you all brought up on a, let's be honest, it's um, cultured, that is cultured television because the, the writing was su- superb. 
Yes, it really was. And he really uh, infused uh, wisdom and intelligence and deep emotion into his stories, but also had a positive message, right? Mm. I mean, he had just the perfect amount of creepiness to jolt jolt the viewers to look at themselves as you're watching each episode and to face their own weaknesses and faults. And um, we were just always with goosebumps, like, oh, my God. Uh, the episode where the man strips his voice, gets uh, surgery on his voice because he was trying to win a match. And then the match fell through, but he lost his voice because he already did surgery. But, you know, those creepy things. But uh, so, yeah, that's what inspired me to make this one. I can see it. I can see it now. Now you talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get it now. Yeah. And it's it's totally, film yeah. noir. It's film yeah. noir. And it starts off in water and you don't really know. Did, she already, did the person already drown? Is someone going to be floating? And you don't know. So I wanted it to start off with that just water and then her plunging herself underwater. And she's just really trying to um, cleanse herself. And, uh, you know, it's about the implosion of her marriage. And I wanted to use relationships because it's so universal and there's always a message for both sides. And, you know, when people break up, there's always people taking each side. And um, I wanted it, you know, sometimes relationships take so long to nurture and to gain that trust. And um, sometimes it just takes a sinister turn years down the line. But isn't it amazing how how easy it is to destroy than to create. Like it takes so long to create a relationship. And one small thing can do it. That's all it One means. small word, yeah, yeah, one yeah. small action, and sometimes it's unforgivable. And, and then there's that implosion. And then there's the manifestation of illness in a person. Sometimes they'll kill themselves. Sometimes yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, yeah. go through therapy. And so that's what her story is. She's trying everything she can to self-care because she's a mother of two and she's a single mother now. Yeah, yeah. And so I figured that is going to be my uh, my story is. And then what happens in the acupuncture scene, she goes to get acupuncture. She believes in traditional Chinese medicine and um Trying to encapsulate that in five minutes was really a lot of fun and an adventure, and I felt Rod Sterling was with me all the way. Brilliant. (laughs) Why didn't you – you you deliberately chose not to show your – well, you show a face, but you can't mention that because that's part of the story. It's not your face, but you've obviously got a mask on. But why did you choose (laughs) not to show your face? What was the the reason for that? Is that to add to the drama from her point of view? Yes, completely. Completely. I do play the nurse, but you just hear my voice and I'm asking her a series of questions. But also I do like simplicity. I don't like a lot of, you know, for my first film, I I wanted it to be as stripped down skeleton crew as possible. So I had my friend Aaron Lee Lopez produce it. Mm -hmm. He also borrowed everything that he had because he owns his own lights and cameras. And, um, he guided me he helped me write the script in script form I didn't know how because I I mean you know how do you do that and so he helped me and so um, and he had his lighting technician Stephen Gutierrez and so it was just us three the holy trinity Oh, a troika, a troika of filmmakers. A troika. And I liked that. I was like, this is my first five minutes right. I don't need a lot of people. I just need Aaron and Stephen. The sound is very important. And of course, my leading actress, who is my blood sister. She is my sister. And she is the actress, you know, she's phenomenal. And and because of because of my short film, she won her first best actress award in three film festivals. No way. 
Cannes International Independent Film Festival and two festivals in New York City where she lives. And so I was so happy because I used to, we both were living in New York together. I was there for 11 years. She's still there. She's a lifer. But, you know, we were both there pounding the pavement, pursuing the arts for years. And all these years later, for me to direct her in my first short and for her to win Best Actress was just a blessing. No, really well done to both or to all of you. But um, did it did it ever occur to you to be the main character? Was that never part of the gig? No, no, never. I mean, I was busy writing it, trying to figure out what to write about. You know, all I had was the trajectory of Rod Serling, which made it exciting. And I could do this. I could do this. I've been waiting for this all my life. (laughs) But no, I I didn't want to. uh, It was too, um, probably too emotional. I really wanted someone to really pull it off. Right. Mm -hmm. And I knew she would nail it. I knew she would nail it. And she did. So can I ask, I mean, she does, of course. So, um, Often Rod Serling's associated with science fiction as well as on his dark themes. But are you a science fiction fan as well? I am. Maybe, uh, um, uh, I am, but that was really the, the first uh, exposure to it, right? Right. Um, that I could, that I could uh, grasp and really enjoy with my family. My, yeah. Mine was um, the original Star Trek, because obviously I'm, I'm way older than you, of course. Oh, but yes. Original Star Trek. Outer Limits and, of course, um, The Twilight Zone, you know, those three. Yeah. Again, the Holy Trinity, I guess. Um, and they, I think Star Trek probably affected me more than the other two. I love the other two and I love the two, because often the other two had twists in them, which, of course, I adored. But um, Star Trek, I found more, um, yeah, it's just something, I mean, my my favorite film of all time is Alien, and still is, and that's been the most affecting film I've ever seen. It's still still now, even after all these years. But it's funny how things, you know, looking back, you know how things do affect you, and how you can pick up on something and run with it. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and and you know, I do envy. Yeah, envy. That's the right word. Not yeah, envy that people that can write <laughs> that can write films, and also I think with short films, the challenge is. Because obviously with a feature, you can stretch it too. You can stretch the film so you can add things and take them. It's probably a little bit easier. But you've got to say so much in a short space of time. Because to be quite honest, a short film could have been 10 minutes or 20 minutes. So you've actually, I think you've made it tougher by coming out some. I think it's less than six minutes, isn't it? Five, six it's minutes. It's less than five. It's like 4.32 or something. Right, okay. <laughs> so there you go. So you, you've got to cram a story into that with, I don't want to say beginning, middle and end, but I suppose it is. But, you know, to try and get it over. So kind of pressure's on to do that isn't it I don't know how you sort of deal with that well I think the pressure was my first short film period really I didn't really have a uh I had never done it before right mine was an mm. animation background but uh once we once I had the script and once everything was set we just we just shot it and um it was very exciting to to be able to edit it and I think being an editor really is a power um and I think like in the 1930s most of the editors were women isn't that interesting? Well, I did not know that. Yeah, That's there's a photo. If you just Google and photo, you know, photos from the 1930s editors, you'll see a whole, you know, um, room full of women. So that was inspiring, also. But uh, seeing it in my head and knowing where to how to edit it from beginning to end was very exciting. And then the the score, because I'm a musician, yes. so I love writing music. And- yeah. So talk, talk to me a little bit about your your musical side because it's the music's really interesting in this it's a lovely score to it so 
clearly you can write and you can play interesting yes. but what, um, what's what's your sort of background to that what's the, the, what's that part of your life how how does how did that come about how does it kind of fit into what you do now Oh, my goodness. Well, when I moved to New York over 20, gosh, in 1990, um, that was my dream was to start a rock and roll band. So um, I started my rock and roll band in New York and moved back to my native Texas. And I'm working on my eighth indie album. It's going to be released in November. But I've been able to tour in Europe. In fact, this is the Brussels edition. I've been to Brussels many times and I have friends there. It's lovely. And I love traveling to Europe. So, but all of my albums are original music mm-hmm. and it's a mix of Texas influenced roots, roots rock with a South of the border flavor. It's bilingual because I'm a Mexican descent. And right. uh, um, so it's very much a melange of music. Um, oh, melange. I like that. Yeah, it's definitely kind of um, schizophrenic. <laughs> What's the other one I was thinking of? A chimera. How's that? A chimera, yeah. Chimera, isn't a that a fusion? I say so. I'd love fusion. to hear something. A fusion, yeah. A few, I'd love to hear some of this. If there's a sample you can send over, I'd love I to hear this. absolutely will. In, front of, in fact, one of my animations was, uh, all three of my animations were to my music. One was called Paris Trance, and it took yes, it was Paris. Of course, we know. I know that, of course, yeah. And, um, yeah, the one about the Spanish poet Lorca, Federico García Lorca, and I'd been to Granada. I was in his house, his museum, which inspired the song because I was there and his spirit was palpable. So it it inspired me to keep his spirit alive and to make an animation on his life. And it won first place at the Madrid International Film Fest a few years ago, which really inspired me to make my first short. So, uh, but my music. It's definitely all original, and uh, this next album is going to be Christmas, a Christmas album of all original music, 10 original Christmas songs. That is some, it sounds like big bands, some rockabilly, some, you know, Spanish ballads, and um, uh, rock and roll, bowls to the wall, rock and roll. <laughs> I feel I love to rock out. So, uh, yeah, but I think the heartbeat of being a creator is just to always create, and that's what I always... Uh, loved about Rod Serling was till the day he passed away he was always writing and you know writing for himself and no matter how many detractors there were in his life can you believe that he had detractors trying to beat him down because he went Hollywood and if we didn't have Twilight Zone episodes or you know Requiem for a Heavyweight if we didn't have those amazing stories by him it would be a different world and we're living in a Twilight Zone right now oh my god Julie was talking about right. this earlier. I mean, you know, the whole thing with COVID and, of course, what's happening in Afghanistan at the moment is just, just so awful. And mm-hmm. I just feel for these, all this. And uh, we touched upon a couple of interviews ago when I just sort of said, you know, we mo- we all moan and whine about our first world problems, or most of us do anyway. But then you see the suffering that's going on over there and you think, you know what, the problems I have to start piling into insignificance, really. Because, you know, when you see people that are so desperate to get out, they're hanging on the wheels of a plane as it takes off. How desperate must these people be? How how desperate must they be to be handing their children over, groups of people to take their children away, to get them out of that zone? I mean, we can't. It's unfathomable to us, isn't it? We just can't imagine just how horrendous it is. And and that's like you say, it's it's almost like a it could be a Twilight Zone episode. Yes. yes. You know, it's so heartbreaking. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's awful. So I'm guessing that you've seen the transition or, or should I say, the, the massive growth of the digital domain. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm 
we can go back to cameras that were, I don't know, one megabytes or half a megabyte, whatever. But all of a sudden, the technology is now so affordable, isn't it? So in terms of you can, you can. I know you, you a friend of yours supplied the equipment, but the truth is you can edit from home, right? Yes, you can. Okay. I mean, I do drone work and I know just how much the price has dropped in that. And I do editing, which I absolutely hate doing. But anyway, that's another story. I just find oh. it interesting with time consuming. But, but the point I'm trying to make is you've seen that transition and growth where it's gone like that and you were now at a point where you can pick up professional equipment i'm not going to say it's cheap but in 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 comparison to how it was and the, the ability to do a lot of this from your home now so and i find it quite profound I, I find the whole thing quite profound what's your take on what's happened over the last 15 20 years in terms of what the ordinary person that's the wrong way to put it what what people can now do in terms of um, the technology with the digital technology and how it's how it's affected what you do and just not just in terms of movie making but in musically as well it must be a massive thing music musically for you as well it certainly is much easier right it's not so old school as it was before um digitally speaking it's uh it's you got to change with the times but you know keep in mind you can also shoot with an iPhone and a lot of my music videos are shot just with an iPhone yeah. and I wanted to shoot this one on an iPhone in fact some of it is on an iPhone the uh the the horror the the dream sequences are on an iPhone mm. up close um because I shot in my my parents' home, and my um uh, they have <laughs> I shot all the close-ups of the uh you know my mother has a two prayer rooms in her home. Right. So I did close-ups of, you know, these um, monuments that she has and these statues that she has. Oh, I know. Family, right. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, so all of those up-close close eyeballs were in my mom's house and the swimming pool and everything. But a lot of some of that and the acupuncture scene when it sweeps up into her close-up, because um, with the big camera that we had, the red camera, it wouldn't sweep at all. It's really stagnant. So I grabbed my iPhone and I just did some sweeping movements, like a ballet. Isn't that great? And those were done on iPhone. Because I, I bought one of those DJI, DJI Osmo. It's a gimbal where you put the camera, the phone in it, and you've got the like a, it's a steady cam effectively. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible piece of kit, and it's like 150 bucks. Mm -hmm. But what the the results you get are truly cinematic. It's just really worth doing if you're into that kind of thing. But I, it, and that's again interesting because. You know, you're, that comes back to what I was mentioning a moment ago. This technology is now available. And who knew? Who knew it'd be like this now? You know? Anyone can make a film. Just grab your iPhone and go. It's so inspiring. It really is. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I, I'm I'm intrigued about this animation flip to live action. I know you said it's something you always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. What will be what will happen with the future now? Will it be a mix of animation or live action? Or are you hooked on live action? What's your thoughts about oh, it could certainly be um like in my next music videos i want to just um when i'm singing i want to be able to um uh, paint as i'm singing but since my song's in spanish one of them i want to um translate it as i'm writing it in english so the viewer can see the translation as we're speaking in spanish so that'll be one of my next videos for the one of the christmas songs i definitely would love to infuse them both incorporate them both and i, I have a strong dance background too so i love incorporating dance into into my work so that'll that'll be in some of my future work as well mm -hmm. and are all your siblings do they all have this artistic streak running through them 
Yes, I pretty much do. We all we all have um, real jobs and then our artistic side. <laughs> like I do real estate on the side and have a life insurance agent who is, loves to produce music. And, and uh, my brother, phar- uh, my pharmacist brother, who uh, um, made a religious album, a Christian album. So we all grew up playing instruments and loving the arts. My dad was a drummer in college and my mother loved to play Spanish guitar and teach us the mariachi music, the Mexican folk songs. So that was our foundation um, and our connection as a family was singing together. Like the, uh, remember the sound of music, the Von Trapps? We were like the Mexican, we were like the Mexican Von Trapps. We would sing at family school recitals and things. And so music was always embedded in us, but also our heritage being Latinos and Mexican American and the mariachi music inspired us greatly. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, this is just a personal observation. I was lucky enough, my family I grew up in, we always listened to good music. So, you know, Marvin Gaye, um, the Beatles, um, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Rolling Stones, uh, you know, just the list goes on and on. And I and it affected me in terms of it, it. I can remember growing up to this really cool stuff. And I'm not saying that cool music doesn't exist now, but the problem I have now is everything is such, we live in such a throwaway society. You know, in this 15 minutes of fame, this 15 seconds of fame. Um, and it kind of affects the culture we have now. And I know some really great artists around now, I get that. But, you know, I'm struggling to think of a, a modern artist that you could hold up and say, well, this is a modern, we're well, never going to get another Beatles, of course. But, you know, a modern interpretation of something that will last and last and last. And I don't mean someone necessarily like Beyonce, who I know is very talented, but I don't know if that will ever be that kind of, in a way, Twilight Zone thing you're talking about, such quality will ever be around again. It's hard to know and it's hard to believe that we'll get get to that point again because our talented artists will get that talented, very talented musicians and filmmakers. But I think, you know, I think people like Spielberg, George Lucas, who is a brilliant filmmaker, but he's done some genre-defining films. And that kind of old school, and it's kind of slipping by, isn't it? I just wonder who is out there to go forward with that mantle, to carry that flame. Are they there? I don't know. Do you think? Well, I think that's I think that's the beauty of people like you with your film festivals to shine a light on up and coming filmmakers because it's so inspiring when you get that email saying you are an official selection. (laughs) I can't tell you. It's so fantastic because, like they say in the Bible, it's in the Bible in. um, you know, a person in their own village is not accepted, you know, uh, that it's, that's in the Bible. So sometimes if you're not accepted in your own city or state, and then you find someone in Europe that breathes on your project, it's so amazing because then you're automatically international. <laughs> oh, okay. Right? You know um, what I mean? Yeah. Well, someone international appreciates the work. So uh, that's what it is. A prophet in his own village is not accepted. Isn't that amazing? And um, it's because a lot of even musicians have to go to Europe to become known, right? Right. And, uh, so it's it's that kind of circle. But But then again, it's fantastic because I love touring Europe. I'd rather go to Europe than tour America because it's so, you can go through seven countries in seven hours or four countries in seven hours. And here in Texas, you're still in Texas. <laughs> I mean, here in America, 
the same amount of time it takes to go through four countries, you're still in Texas. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's actually true because um, we can fly from um, London to Nice in the south of France in 80 minutes. Wow. And, yes, 80 minutes. And it's beautiful. We're obviously down the Med. Gorgeous. And, you know, the church, the nearest church to me is 1,100 years old, and we don't think about things like that. Or Canterbury wow. Cathedral, which I live close to, I think the original cathedral was built in something like, eight, well, that's 1,300 years old. And we don't, we don't, sort of appreciate that well I say that I don't think that, but we you know all this grand history that we and the Europeans have is, is amazing so can I ask oh is everyone in your family as cool and and laid back as you are because you come across it and this is a positive really happy a really sort of cool um smart individual and you just seem like I have a, like a an aura about you do you have oh that thank thing? you you know I mean I think I think we all get along we all love each other I think we're all cool people my parents are amazing they're they're thankfully 85 and 86 years old and still wow. still alive and we celebrate them and Lovely. they really um brought us up really well you know with a strong with strong values and uh to really treat others as you would want to be treated and uh you know, to be happy in life and it's the journey, not the destination. And to Definitely. really just have a strong faith, you know, and even reverting back to the story of this woman in suffering, there's a really positive message at the end where she's mm-hmm. going to get through it, you know, and uh, anyone in relationships, they just have to really, you know, it takes time to heal and it takes time, you know, relationships are, are hard, but, uh, you know, really have faith that things are going to work out. Uh, faith over fear. That's the message. Faith over fear. That's a lovely message because actually we should point out that the, it doesn't have a, a, a dark ending. It's, it's quite uplifting. 